today. And our new series has an interesting title. It's entitled Sovereign Crossings. And it's a journey in the book of Joshua. And we're going to sort of do some highlights throughout the book of Joshua. And I've been meaning to do this study for quite some time. And it just seems right at this particular time. And I got the go-ahead from God and, and uh, kind of got it two weeks ago when we were in chapter 3 a couple of weeks ago in our last time together. And now here we go again. And we're going to start with Joshua 1.1 and sort of highlight Joshua as we kind of run through it, rest through it a little bit at some of the highlights. Can't take the time to do it verse by verse all the way through. We might be here a couple of years trying to make it through the whole book. Although it is a very interesting and a very qualified book to do that with. Sovereign Crossings, this study of ancient times recorded for us by the penmanship of Joshua himself where he gives us a historical account of the people of God crossing over into the Jordan. It's an interesting historical accurate account of God's people doing exactly that. And uh, 40 years earlier though, they happen to be at the very same spot they are in Joshua 1.1. Isn't it interesting that 40 years later they find themselves in the very place where they were 40 years earlier. See, 40 years earlier, as you know, and most of us are familiar with the story, but let's just recap it for a little bit. They were in bondage, enslaved to an Egyptian king who was using them as a workforce to build a pagan empire. And they were not free. They were slaves. God raised up a man named Moses who became then their spokesman, and the spokesman for God went to the king and uh, kind of a Charleston Heston-like way said, let my people go. And uh, he was persuaded to do that after a couple of things that took place and only to relent later on as the people of God left. He said, you know what happened to my work, workforce? And so he went after them and they had their backs up against the wall, so to speak, some water. And as the king approached, God miraculously liberated them. They walked across on dry land, took care of their enemy, and they were then making the journey to the place where they happened to be 40 years earlier. But it was at this very front door of the promised land where they sent 12 spies out, one of whom was Joshua, who came back of the two with a favorable report, 10 who said, no way, Jose, we're not going. The giants are too big. Uh, the cities are too barricaded. Uh, the, the cost is too costly. The price is too great. There's too much commitment required of us. We just don't believe and we just don't trust God. So they did not go. Moses was not able to persuade them. God was not able to persuade them. They rejected and rebelled against God. And then God said, okay, you don't want to go? Then you don't go. Well, they relented later of that and seized control on their own and tried to go in and occupy without God's blessing the promised land only to fail, which made God pretty upset. Were it not for the intervention of Moses who came pleading on their behalf where God, okay, but I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to wipe out this entire faithless generation and raise up a brand new generation of people who will trust me the next time. Forty years later, we find ourselves in Joshua 1.1 at the front door of the promised land. The people are confronted with the same enemies, the same obstacles, the same barriers, the same challenges, the same commitment. But this time, we're going to learn that they make the decision to go with God. Now, you might have a question, how does this relate to us today? 
most of us in here would probably understand that because we've studied Joshua before, but it's really very relevant for us today in our setting, in our world that we happen to live in. And the reason why it's relevant for us is because of three primary reasons. Reason number one is that it relates to us individually and that there probably are some of us who individually have stood somewhat at the crossroads of life and we have not moved forward with God. We have not crossed over the Jordan, so to speak, and we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus and committed to follow him as the leader and the Lord of our lives. We have weighed out the odds. We have looked at the commitments. We understand the cost that's required. We know what is demanded of us. When we look back at our lives and we hold on to what we think is more valuable than what is before us, and we simply just choose not to make the decision to trust Jesus and to follow Christ. There are people who do that, you know. They just make the choice, a deliberate, intentional choice of not moving forward in the blessings that, is, that are available to those who place their faith and trust in Christ. And maybe today there's someone in this room who fits that individual criteria. The second point of application is simply this, that there are probably many of us, if not most of us in here, who have made the decision to cross over the Jordan, so to speak. We've placed our faith and trust in Christ, but in crossing the Jordan, we have maybe engaged in some battles, we may have given some cost, we may have yielded some commitment, but we have found a settling spot. We have, we have found a place where we can sort of call our own. We've gotten comfortable. We've gotten uh, lazy. We've gotten sort of indifferent, sort of apathetic. And so we've just camped out there. We've not moved forward into the fullness of the blessings of Christ. I'm convinced there are many frustrated believers today, many frustrated believers, who have who have bought into the promise that's available to them through Christ. They, they understand the blessings of the fullness of the abundant life in Christ. They are fully aware of the fruitfulness and the success and the victory and the joy that's available to all, if not most Christians, yet they find that elusive in their own personal journey. We travel and we venture from place to place and we hop from church to church who, who somehow tickles us and, and causes us to feel a little tingling in our spirit for a while, but that also is elusive and we find ourselves back in the same frustrated place as we were first in because we just can't seem to find the victory and the joy and the success and the abundance that we know is ours in Christ. It, it's just not a reality. And so we either settle for a life of complacency or we settle for a life of masquerading the victorious Christian life and we come to church with our big Bibles and we sit in our chair in life group and we worship and we smile and we pretend. And the reality is we know that in our souls there's an emptiness, there's a dryness, there's a fruitlessness that proves to be undesirable but we don't know how to fix it and uh, we, we, we kind of wander around and, and, and most of us to be quite honest I think we settle we settle because if this is what it is and this is what it is and we may have a tendency to go to someone else that we trust and we love and say you know I'm, I'm, I'm kind of dry I'm kind of thirsty I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hungry for more what is that? And they look at us and so, you know, me too, but I've just given up. It's just kind of how it is. 
You know, I found that most marriages settle like that. They just coexist together, and there's not much marriage. Uh, we do that in our Christian walk, too. We, we're related to Christ, and we just kind of settle because that's kind of the way it is. <laughs> uh, we don't really know anybody that's living the abundant, fruit-filled, spirit-filled Christian life. And so we congregate with other believers who either play the game or who just have given up in frustration and just kind of settle. Uh, but I'm here to tell you there's more than that for us in Jesus. And I think it's also thirdly important for us as a corporate body of Christ. Because I think like most individuals, sometimes we as churches have a tendency to settle for less than what God intends for us. Or maybe we have defined the more or the abundance in terms and in definitions that are not rightly God's. And so we, as sometimes as the body, the corporate body of Christ, become then frustrated because we're not attaining those pursuits that we think are success pursuits when the reality is that's not God's definition of success or fruitfulness or abundance or designed for the body of Christ. And I think this is a, an important study for us as the family, as the body of Christ, Emmanuel Baptist Church, because God is calling us as a team, as members of the body of Emmanuel Baptist Church, to come together and to move together. Now that goes against primarily those of us who are Midwesterners because we're isolationist, we're loners, we're independent, we like to do it our way, like the song says. But at some point, the Bible continually references unity, togetherness, corporate, corporate life together as the body of Christ, where we must together as a body move forward into the fullness of what God intends for us to have as his bride, the church. So on all levels, it kind of relates to us individually and it relates to us corporately. So where do we start? Which leads us really to the primary question and the title of our study today, starting point. What is the starting point? There has to be a reference. There has to be a point of reference. There has to be a, a place in which we begin this journey. I mean, if you don't know where you are and where you need to go, you'll never get there. So you got to know where you are and you got to know where to start. And so where do we start? It's interesting that God begins in Joshua 1.1 to give the people of God, through the leadership of Joshua, the starting point. What is it? Well, first of all, we look at the text, Joshua 1.1, we see in this starting point that there is a call from God upon Joshua and to the people of God. What is the call? Well, the call is, is prescribed for us in verses 1 and verse 2. Notice what Joshua records. After the death of Moses... The servant of the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Well, you notice in this text, first of all, that the call of God is very strategic. It's strategic in the sense that Moses is now no longer on the scene. He is now no longer the leader. And that is by the design, that is because of the plan that God has implemented, not only in the life of Moses and in the life of Joshua, but also in the life of the people as they are to cross over the Jordan and to occupy or to seize the promised land. 
God is not coincidental. He's not accidental. He does everything intentionally, and he is very purposeful in everything that he does to accomplish his plan. For whatever reason, we're not going to go into the reasons why, but Moses is not selected by God to take the people and cross over the Jordan into the promised land. He's not the man. And, and God has led them through the wilderness through the leadership of Moses now for 40 years. He has taken the very door, the front door of the promised land, and he is now in his sovereignty choosing another leader to take over and to occupy the promised land. And he's led them to the front door of the promised land now, and he's not going to leave them in the wilderness. I don't think it is ever God's design, if he does lead us into the wilderness, to keep us there indefinitely. And you may be experiencing a moment in your life where it's incredibly dry spiritually, and you're wandering around in this dry desert and, and you're stale and, and, and it seems lifeless and, and maybe even hopeless, but, but God doesn't intend to leave you there very long. He will always bring you, as he does to his people, in a strategic call back to the place in which you can begin and, and enter into the incredible blessings and the promises of God. And he's strategic here. He's not going to leave them in the desert. He's going to bring them into the, out of the wilderness and into the promised land. That is his plan. That is his purpose. That is his intention. Not only is this call strategic, but we see that it is subjective in that it is very individualistic. It's very personal because he calls Joshua. He calls Joshua to be the leader of the people. I mean, it describes Joshua as a man who sort of has been, uh, you know, Moses' tonto. You know what I mean? His sidekick. Uh, he's been the, the assistant to the main man now for some decades. And uh, he, he's not gotten a lot of attention up until now. But God has been priming the pump. He's been setting the course. He's been setting the stage. He's been grooming this man named Joshua, who predominantly is in the background, now to elevate him to a position of leadership where Joshua is going to be God's choice of a leader to lead God's people over the Jordan and into the promised land to do what Moses was not capable of doing. Joshua is the man. God called him. God appointed him. It's Joshua. The people didn't elect a leader. God chose the leader, as God always chooses his leaders. And this man that God chose is none other than Joshua. Isn't it interesting that the name Joshua means Yahweh saves or Yahweh delivers? We're going to see throughout the book of Joshua, as you study the Joshua, the comparison between Joshua and Jesus. Did you know Joshua is sort of a... Uh, uh, Jesus-like figure in the Old Testament? Jesus means what? Somebody tell me. Yahweh saves. Yahweh delivers. What does Joshua mean? Yahweh saves. Yahweh delivers. Joshua and Jesus, a lot of similarities. You find that coincidental? No, God's very strategic. And, and Joshua is God's choice as Jesus was God's choice as the son of God to take God's people out of the wilderness that they were in in a religious setting into the abundance of the fullness of the blessing of the spirit of God. Now God is calling out in Joshua 1-1 this incredible man named Joshua to be the one who is going to deliver God's people out of the wilderness and into the abundance of the blessings of God. So God's call is not only strategic and subjective but it's selective and it's selective in the sense that this incredible blessing is for, notice it says, all the people. Not just for Joshua, 
but for all the people. God's call is to give the abundance of the promised land to every Israelite, to every one that is his chosen people group. And I don't know about you, but that helps me understand the fact that this incredible abundant life that was intended to be given to us through faith in Jesus, our deliverer, is not something that's intended only for a few choice people, but it's intended for all the people. And if it's intended for all of us, then why aren't all of us experiencing it? But it's for all of us. His call is that all of us enter into the abundance of the provisions of God and to the fruitfulness of the Spirit-filled life. And then, fourthly, I see that his call is very straightforward. For he says in the text, if you look at it, he says, Arise and go over the Jordan. Very straightforward. Get up from your mourning, people. I mean, I can imagine the people after Moses' death, they were, they were in mourning. They were in shock. I mean, this, this is a new generation, people. This is a, a whole new generation. Their entire lives, they have been led by this man named Moses, whom they have trusted now for 40 years to take them through this wilderness experience, and now he's gone. And who are they going to trust? Who are they going to look to? Who's going to tell them what God's voice has said and the direction that God has for them? This is not a privilege for everyone at this moment because the blessing has not come through the Spirit of Christ, which makes us all priests to be able to understand and to hear the voice of God. So this is, this is a one-man deal here. And who, who's going to lead us now over the Jordan and into who Who is it? And they discover that it's Joshua. And God says to them, get up from your mourning and cross the Jordan and follow the lead of the man that I have selected. This is a call that leads to receptivity. Forty years earlier, they got a call, but they were unresponsive. They were rebellious. They rejected it. They refused to go with God. They refused to trust God, and they just simply said, No way, Jose, we're not going. We don't believe you, God. We don't trust you, God. And then when they recognized and realized that that the choice was the wrong one, they sought to seize the promised land independently and apart from God on their own, in their own strength, and they failed miserably, which caused them now to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Because they tried to grab the steering wheel in their own power and, 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 and take it by force. And now all of a sudden we see that a whole new generation has been Raised up by God. And God is saying, will you receive my call to move from where you are into the promises of my blessing? We not only see the call, but we see the commitment that God makes to Joshua. There's a call, and whenever God calls, he commits to those he calls. Whenever you and I hear God calling us and directing us, we can be assured every single time that he's going to commit to those he calls. He is going to provide for those who answer the call, those who are receptive, those who will go with God. And keep in mind, his provisions may not always be the way that we think they are, but they will always be as he chooses and as he directs. But he always provides. He always commits to those he calls. How does he commit to Joshua and to the people of God? Notice verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. 
from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong, be courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Notice in this commitment, God issues a prerequisite. And if you're not careful, you'll miss this. But notice he says in the words, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon. What he's saying here is, is the same thing that Peter had to do when he heard the voice of Jesus saying, come on. He had to step out of the boat and into the rough waters and take that step of faith in order for then Jesus to exercise the authority of the divine power that he had to enable Simon Peter to walk on water. That's the same thing he's doing here. He's saying, I have all of these blessings and all of this this promise that I have given to you, but in order for you to seize it, in order for you to, to take it, in order for you to attain it, you've got to step out from where you are and to take that step of faith trusting me to rest in my provisions. That takes an act of faith. That was exactly 40 years ago what their parents and grandparents were not willing or they were unwilling to do. They were unwilling to say, you know what? We see the giants. We see the obstacles. We see the tests and the trials and the tribulations and all the things that are there. But we just, we're not going to do this and just trust you. And here the responsibility is that they must step out in faith, believing and trusting that God will find a way. It takes a responsibility on the part of the people as well as us, even today, in order for us to seize the promises that God has, to step out in obedience, but by faith, believing, God, I don't see it, I don't understand it, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm just going to trust you and believe in you, and I'm going to step out, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do it. And wherever their foot landed, notice what God provided. He provided the deed to the land. Now, in case you forgot or you missed it in verse 2, he said the words, I am giving. Didn't he say that? I am giving. That's a futuristic tense. And here he's saying, I have given. Now, which is it? He is giving or he has given? He is giving or he has given? It's not and or, it's both. Well, how do you mean that? Well, you got to understand the word giving in the Old Testament, and especially in this passage. I am giving is futuristic, and the reason why they haven't attained it or received it yet is because they have not by faith stepped into the Jordan, the water parted, and they've not gone into the promised land. So in in one sense, God is in the process, or if you're in Canada, the process, he is in the process of giving it. As they step out in faith, it will be theirs. But they haven't stepped out yet, so he is going to give it to them. But it's already theirs in a sense that he has given it. How has he given it? Well, he's given it because he is the sole owner of the land. It belongs to God. Everything on this planet, in this universe, God created and God sustained, and he has the right to give it or to deed the property to whomever he chooses. It's not man's decision, it's God's. 
And God is saying, because I've created this land and because I own the deed to this land, I am deeding you this land as my people, as your inheritance. So in an essence, it is already theirs. They may not, they don't have it yet, but it's theirs. It's like having a million dollars in a bank account. It's already in your bank account, but you've not exercised the right of that use by helping that pay your bills. <laughs> but you intend to do that as soon as you begin to take the pen and cut the check, slip it in the mail, or if you're online like I do, I don't write checks anymore, pay it online. Uh, for you old school, it's, you still write checks. The only check I write is my tithe check to the church. That's the only check we write. And so here we have it. God is saying, I'll provide. Not only will he provide, that's part of his commitment, but notice he said, I'll give you the power that you need. It says here that no one will be able to stand against him. That the enemy in this land, the giants that are there are fierce enemies. They have gotten strongholds onto the land and they've, been, they've dug their heels deep and they've created these huge fortifications to protect and to prevent any enemy from coming and destroying and taking what they believe is theirs. Although it's not theirs, it belongs to God and it belongs to the people of God. They're going to fight tooth and nail to keep anyone from taking it. And God is saying, here, I will give you the power to overcome these giants and to tear down these barriers and overcome these obstacles that's what he's saying here he's saying Joshua I'll give you and, and, and my people the power that is necessary to defeat any enemy that would seek to prevent you from seizing or taking this land he said not only will I give you power but I'll assure you my presence I'll give you my presence now we take that for granted most of us who are believers today but they didn't take that for granted then and I think this was an incredible comforting thing for Joshua to know that when he went into a fight, he had Jesus. He had God right here. I mean, as long as you know you've got the presence of God with you, you'll fear no evil. I mean, you won't even fear death because God's with him wherever he went. And God will be with you wherever you go. And because he is with us wherever we go, whom do we fear? What are we afraid of? Nothing. Because he assures him too of his providence. His providential care upon the people of God. He says in verse 6, Be strong and be courageous, for you shall cause his people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. His sovereign will is in full effect. His divine intervention will happen. It will happen. You're not going to like this word, but it is predestined to happen. Nothing can thwart, hinder, stop the will of God. It's going to happen. You will inherit this land. How would you like to go into a promised land to occupy a land that's been promised with this kind of guarantee? God has sealed his commitment in these words to Joshua, and Joshua communicates them to the people. And as they go into this promised land, they are to rest in the provisions, in the providence, in the power, in the presence of not themselves, but in Jehovah Jireh. And so he says, I commit to you. Call leads to a commitment, which leads then to a command. Notice in the text, as we see in verse 7, 8, 
God issues a command, and it's interesting in this text that he wants to leave a deep impression on Joshua's mind, on his heart, these words. He, he doesn't want Joshua to take them lightly, to be, to be so deeply impressed by them that they leave a mark that he never forgets because he knows where Joshua is headed and he knows what's going to, what, what he's going to be confronted with. And he, and he says to Joshua, he says, he repeats himself kind of again what he says, and, and I kind of scratch my head and say, why did he repeat this? And I have a tendency to think that Joshua may have been a little, a little bit like me. Maybe he was a little bit like you. We have to hear it more than once to believe it. I said we have to hear it more than once to believe it. I said we have to hear it more than once to believe it. You follow what I'm saying? Joshua had to hear it. He's going to hear it more than twice. He's wanting to leave a deep impression on this man before he sends him out. Only be strong. This time he says, and very courageous. Not just courageous, but very courageous. Being careful to do according to all that the Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. How will you make your way prosperous? By doing all that is written in the book. But then you will make your way prosperous. Sounds kind of whack-o-matic, doesn't it? Charismatic, kind of like a TV evangelist. You're going to be prosperous. Lay your hand on this TV and never mind. And then you will have good success. He says, be courageous in all that I tell you. Why was he in need of courage? Then there are giants in the land. There's fortified cities. There's, there's complaining members of his community group who are going to gripe and fuss and complain all along the way. He was not only to display courage against the enemy, but courage as he led the people. Not to wane, not to show any doubt or, or disbelief, but be courageous. He also says, Joshua, I want you to be consistent. Be consistent in all that I have said. Not just those things that are convenient. Don't renegotiate. Don't navigate the truth, but be consistent in all that I have said. Don't go to the left or to the right. Why? He knew that Joshua was about to go into a pagan land filled with pagan, false, man-made gods made in their own image, that there would be a, a temptation and a tendency to compromise and to negotiate and to bend a little. Don't be so, so much of a hater. Don't judge people. You hear that today? Don't condemn me. Don't judge me. You know, Bend a little. I mean, we live in a hostile world that doesn't believe all that we believe. And they're saying that we're haters or that we're judging people when we hold up the standard of God. What they don't realize and recognize that as we hold up the standard, the standard is also a mirror that reflects our imperfections and our humanity and our carnal nature as well. We don't hold it up as judges, but we hold it up as prophets proclaiming the truth and allowing the truth then to bring the conviction that is necessary. Be consistent in all of it. Not just what's expedient, what's convenient, 
You're going to go into hostile territory, and it's going to, it, it, they're, going to, they're going to want you to, you know, eh, don't do all of it. No, follow my word to the letter. Every jot, every tittle is my word. Follow it to the letter. Be consistent. Be careful to speak only what I tell you to speak. Don't add. Don't leave anything out. But speak what I tell you to speak. And as you're speaking, I want you to make sure that you allow the word of God to captivate your heart so that you, you, you dive into it morning and evening. David talked about that last week. It's a little hard on you, I think. Really? I felt convicted and I watched it on the internet. But we need to be captivated by the word of God morning and evening. And to allow the, the word of God to penetrate our hearts and our minds and our souls to the point that it does what God intended for it to do is to bring cleansing into our hearts and our minds so that we can think what we should think and feel what we should feel and do the things that we should be doing. And any time that we're not, God, the word of God isn't entering how it convicts us. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and convicts us so that we can be conformed to what is here, so that we can reflect the holiness and the righteousness of the one who is our Savior and the one who is our Lord. And he's saying, as you move forward, I want you to be confident in my Word. Don't be cocky, but be confident in my Word. What do you mean confident? He said, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Be confident that as you are following the leadership of the Lord and you're obeying the word of the Lord, be confident that you will prosper and you'll be successful. Here's something you won't hear on these radio talk show hosts and all that. I tell you to put your screen on. You, you want, you want the, the road to prosperity and obedience? I mean prosperity and, and, and success? Prosperity and success? Be obedient to the word. It's, it, it's that simple. Just be obedient to the word. I have a young man over here, and some of you may know him. His name's Michael. And uh, we were talking about him in the church office here not long ago, and his testimony is he was a believer who never tithed because he never thought he could afford to tithe. But God convicted his spirit, and he started tithing, and he didn't know how he was going to make it happen, but uh, he took the step, <laughs> okay, and just believed that God was going to provide and he, his testimony is that now he has more money in the bank at the end of the month through tithing than he did before he tithed. Imagine that. God's true to his word. And yet we rob God. Why do we rob God? We, we just can't trust him. How am I going to pay my bill? You know, some of us, we need some financial management because we're way out overextended. We need to cut back some. I drive cars that are paid for. It's a 10-year-old car with 230-plus thousand miles on it. I don't want to be overextended. Those things are binding. They constrict us. And yet we need to trust God's word. Not just the parts that we want, parts that are to our advantage. They're all to our advantage. And he says, bring this tithe to the storehouse. What's the storehouse? The church. Don't give it to parachurch groups. Give it to the church. And through this church, we support parachurch groups. But the responsibility that we have is to give it to the storehouse and trust God for the provisions 
And if we'll trust him, he'll provide in all aspects of life. Well, his command leads to a concern. You know, God is not unconcerned because he's well aware of the challenges that Joshua and the people are going to be faced with. He knows those challenges are real. There's a real enemy. There are real fortresses. There are going to be real battles. There are going to be tests and trials and tribulations and temptations. They're going to come. They're going to knock on the door. They're going to sometimes try to kick the door down. And, and he says, in light of these challenges, he's concerned. He says, notice he says in verse 9, one very powerful verse. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. I guarantee you every one of us in here needed to hear that today. He's trying to encourage Joshua. He's saying, hey, Joshua, when you face those challenges... I want you to remember who called you. I called you. And I'm committed to those I call. You didn't wake up one morning, decide on your own to be the leader of the people and to cross the Jordan and do this on your own. That's, uh-uh. You're going to be tested in that. You're probably going to go, what was I thinking? When I answered the door that day or picked up the phone when God called and he called me. I, I should have been doing something else, chopping wood or something. Should have told him, I'm not, I'm not available, God. Why don't you remember that I called you? It's important to remember whose we are and why we're in this fight and why we're on this journey. He says then, be strong, be courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed. He says, when you face these challenges, I want you to respond appropriately. Respond with the appropriate response. What is the appropriate response? He says, be strong, stand firm, stand on the word, stand in a strength that is sufficient not your own strength, but stand in my strength. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, my life verse says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your path. He says, I want you to be courageous. The word courageous simply means to be brave. Be brave. Don't coward. Be brave. So be strong, be brave. But he says, do not emphatically, absolutely, under any circumstances, as you're facing the challenge, never be frightened. The word frightened means timid. It means to be terrified. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. He says that the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking to do what? To devour. He ain't going to devour nobody. He's just a bunch of sound and a bunch of noise because God's committed to those he calls and he is so committed to those he calls that the enemy is not going to overtake us. Don't let him, ter- don't, don't, don't let him cause you to shake in your boots. Oh, oh the enemy. Oh, phooey. Now, don't treat him flippantly because he's a, he's, he's a pretty good adversary. Know who you're up against, but don't let him intimidate you. Don't let him cause you to back up. 
He said, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed. And the idea of dismay is this idea of, of, of being shaken or being rattled or being in distress because of the task that's before you. Oh, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to make it. I just don't know if we're ever going to do this. And I don't know if it will look at yeah, I'm just so dismayed. Worry, 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 worry. You don't have to worry. Some of you need to confess the sin of worry right now. Because you're so dismayed and overstraught with this, this, oh, me, you know. Don't know how it's ever going to work out. He said, respond appropriately. He says, rest in my sovereignty. Josh, I want you to rest in my sovereignty. I'm going to remind you once again, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, I am Lord. I am on the throne. And I have predetermined, I have predicted, I have set for you, I am Lord. And because I am Lord, I am sovereign. And because I am sovereign, it will happen. I will cause it to happen. As you step out and trust, it will happen. And he said, I want you to reflect on my relationship when you're faced with these challenges. (laughs) And this is important. Because when you're faced with an enemy greater than yourself, and he's roaring, you need to be reminded that I am your God. That's personal. You know, it's not somebody who I know who knows him, but it says I know him. Joshua, you know me. I am your God. I don't have to be with someone else because He's their God, and so i got to be with them. No, he's mine. He's our God. And because he's our God, he's a personal God. And because he's a personal God, he's with us. And because he's with us, he's going with us. He is our God. He belongs to us. He's personal. And notice his presence. Wherever you go, I'm there. Isn't it cool to know that wherever you are, wherever you go, whatever you're doing, he's there. You don't face any battle on your own. There's no barrier that would seek to hinder you and prevent you from going on in Christ. There's no sin that you can't overcome. There's no challenge that you can't defeat. When God is with you, he's with you. And you have all of God with you all the time, regardless of what you face. So as we close, where do we start? Very quickly. Where do I start? I need to be receptive. You know, we can stand at the front door of the promised land and we just say, Ian, I'm not interested. I'm pretty comfortable right where I am. You know, the giants are pretty big and the battles are too great and the cost is too much. And, you know, I'm just, okay, whatever. I wander around in the wilderness all you want. As for me and my house, we're going on. And we'll leave you in our dust. We've got to be receptive to what God wants to bring and do in our lives. You've got to be receptive to Jesus as he knocks on the door of your heart, inviting himself to come in and to change your life and to make your life as prosperous and success, as successful as it can through Jesus and all these wonderful abundant blessings. The only way you can do that is to receive him and to invite him into your life and commit to him to be your Savior and to trust him as your Lord.
Now, Lord, I don't know how you're going to make it happen. I, my life is a wreck. These sins are just, man, they're weighing me down. But, you know, when you step out and you trust, whew, he sets you free. And he makes the impossible possible in your life as you trust him. There's rest. God commits to us in our responsibility that if we just are responsible to step out, we can rest in his provision, in his providence, in his, in his power, and in, in, in his, his all to make it happen. Isn't it great that this whole Christian life thing isn't all about what we can do, but it's about what he's already done? It's already ours. It's available. Because we'll rest in it. The only way we can rest in it is to respond in obedience. Relying on Him to make it happen. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast of Emmanuel Baptist Church. Emmanuel is located at 1415 South Topeka in Wichita, Kansas, and is easily accessible from all parts of the city and surrounding areas. Each Sunday morning, Emmanuel offers two worship services. The first service begins at 10 a.m. and offers a contemporary worship service and a casual and relaxed setting. Our second worship service begins at 11 a.m. and is led by the Emmanuel Choir and Orchestra. Both services are centered around strong biblical teaching where the Bible is presented in a clear and relevant way. Life groups for adults and children of all ages are offered at 9.45 a.m. and 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.ibcwichita.com. That's www.ibcwichita.com. This is Monty. Monty's been attending uh, our first service for the last several weeks. Uh, he came to know Christ a couple of years ago, but uh, had not really been walking with him, following him. And a few weeks ago, just felt very impressed to come and check out the big church near his home. And as he came in, people began to greet him, began to love on him. Through the speaking of the word, through Doc's messages, God is really impressed on Monty. It's time to take that next step, to give that testimony in believer's baptism. And this morning, Monty's coming to do just that. God is doing some incredible things in his life. There's some things going on in his life right now that he needs a lot of prayer for. But this one thing he knows, no matter what transpires in his life, he knows where he's going to spend eternity. And he wants to give that testimony this morning. Monty. Is it true that you've asked Jesus to come into your heart to be your savior and your boss and it's your desire to be his follower for the rest of your life? Yes. Monty, because of that decision, it's my privilege this morning to get to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're buried with Christ in baptism and we're raised to walk for newness of life.